That's a zone that, that people can spend their whole life shooting for. But you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, and that gets to bless us this morning. I know that some of his family here, I'll let you introduce or do whatever you want to do with that. And, uh, and his wife is out there in the foyer. Uh, we didn't let her come in Friday night because it was guys. But uh, she is here this morning. So without anything else, my, literally my favorite evangelist, my favorite uh, special speaker, Dave Reaver. Well, good morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to tell you what I have been feeling since I've been in this room. And then I'll get around to what I want to say. But I'm, I'm going to try to describe it. First of all, your drummer is an outstanding drummer. And I'm going to tell you, <clears throat> when he got on a roll and he started beating that bass drum, it was like a train coming down the track. And the devil thought that the train track would stay dark. But that train ran smack over that devil with that drummer. And then I watched that woman sing. And I thought, she's casting a shadow on Pike's Peak with the glory of God that's in her. And I looked over at that lead guitar picker and I thought, eat your heart out, devil. You'll never get a guitar picker that can beat that. And I looked at the bass drum, at, at the bass player, bass guitar player, a kid up there thumping away, doing hitting every note, and the guitar being strummed. I thought, what a team! That just well, there's one more to the team, and they had to swap out a little bit because I'm going to tell you, the hardest working people in the church are the ones doing translating in sign language. You can pay me later. <laughs> but the gentleman that was that was uh, doing the interpreting, Doc, is that what you call him, Doc? Where are I can't see right there. You are. I'm gonna tell you something, my friend. Now I, I do sign language. My hands are so bad I speak it with a lisp. <laughs> it's a, I love you. <laughs> but I'm gonna tell you something, sir. I've been around the deaf. I've been around sign language since I was a teenage boy. I used to speak it very fluently, but my hands are so blown apart that I can't. I still, I still can't. It's just difficult for the dead, more, more for them than it is for me. In my entire career, I have never witnessed anybody do it like you do. And Bubba, you just got put up against the best of the best, and you won. <laughs> what it really came down to, everybody else and you on this platform were working in perfect synonymous synchronization. You were participating in something that the devil coming in that dark tunnel, and that, that train come down the track, and that drummer was finished off with every slap of your hand across the devil's face. And, sir... That's what I saw. Pastor, that's what I saw on this platform. That when you handed me the mic, I don't have to fight the battle. The battle's already been fought and won. I'm just eating the dessert. <laughs> and 
that's what it has been for me since I've been here with my precious wife. We have enjoyed being in here taking up your parking lot. Sorry about that. We parked right in the middle of everything because there was electricity there. Keep the batteries up. But I want to say thank you to a pastor that doggedly believed that we were supposed to be here and would not give up. And I'm going to tell you, Pastor, today God's not going to fail. I'm not going to fail. It's all set. The whole table has been set. We're going to sit at the table of the Lord and feast today. And for those of you back in church for your first time for a while, doesn't it feel good? Pastor described it perfectly. You don't want to stop hugging or holding on. And I know that social distancing shot down the tubes there, but whatever it takes, I'm going to just tell you, when we cross the finish line in glory, there won't be any social distancing. The devil tried to tell me otherwise. I told him to get back six feet <laughs> behind me. Amen? I'm here today in a very, very special attitude. I've got a son-in-law, a daughter, and two of the prettiest granddaughters on the face of this earth sitting back there. Would you all stand? Would you welcome my family? Phil is a, with the Pueblo Fire Department, does the work of a captain. He's a paramedic. He's, he, he's gone through every certification in the, the military, which is almost military. In, in my opinion, uh, they train harder than the military do what they do. A fireman is the first responder that has saved so many lives. This man can't even, he couldn't add up the lives he saved out here on I-25 and out of house fires. And a dog that he saved from getting burned to death and made front cover of the magazine. Even in Pueblo times or whatever they call it. I love my family. And that meathead took away my daughter. Because <laughs> he's the only one that I thought was qualified. I'm proud of him. He's my hero. Not many father-in-laws say that about their son-in-law. But he's my hero. And my daughter's... He, he he married an angel. She's been the pride and joy of my eyes for all, all of her life. And my wife and I are privileged to have spent yesterday with them. Thanks for letting us be with our family while we came to minister to you. It's been a great joy. I'm just letting my mind go. Okay, please don't put me in a box. I get put in a box. There's always the expectation what they want me to do. Today, your pastor, in his grace, never authorized, stipulated, put in anything. Just do what God tells you. Most pastors are afraid to do that. Not your pastor. You, you got a gutsy pastor. I'm telling you, you do. You, you do. And he's different than most pastors I've been around because he'll get up and say what comes to his mind. And most pastors can't do that because what comes to their mind, they better not repeat. So I'm, I'm in a little bit of heaven today being here, and my wife's, I, I can't see very good because the lights are reflecting. I have scar tissue on my eyes from being burned, and I, I don't even know, is she back there? Is that Brenda back there? She's my other girl. She's uh, 39. For the how many times? <laughs> Brenda and I have been married for 53 years. Not bad. 
This morning, someone, I was talking to Miss Diane, I think. She, she and her husband married 51 before he went to be with the Lord. And I said, we've been married 53 years, not bad. Uh, I said, we've been together 53 years, not bad, out of 12 being married. <laughs> but it, uh, that's not true. We've been to hell and back, my friend. I mean, I, I've been shot up, mutilated, burned up, burned out. Why do you think I want a son lodge fireman? <laughs> he keeps the coals pressed down from popping up flames again. But Brenda and I have been through a lot together. I was 16 when I asked her to marry me. And she said, I'm only 13 years old. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. <laughs> She slapped me again. Translate that. <laughs> and she said, if you love me, you'll wait for me. I said, I'll pick you up at 10. I can wait. I knew what she meant, but we waited. Her dad insisted. She had to graduate from high school first. So the, within a few days of graduation, we got married. I was training for the ministry. You learn how to say that in Bible college. Ministry. It's anointed when you do it like it. Hallelujah. We change our voice so God doesn't really know who's calling, asking for all that stuff. But God had a plan for my life, and I now look back over it. And people like your pastor just in junior high when he first heard me speak, I was deep into my career. I was sitting on my mother's lap, of course. I was very young. No, I wasn't. But the fact is, Wherever I go, people constantly bring up. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you came to my school. Well, I've addressed over 8 million students now in public schools. No one else in history has probably ever done that. It's not anything you brag about. Just That's like saying, well, you know, I've got more hair on my head than the guy that counted the last hair on his. You know, It doesn't matter. Who cares? But it mattered to me because I look back over those years and my my daughter and my son, just little tights. I think Kim was two weeks old when she hit full-time evangelistic travel. I think Matt, being our firstborn, we were a little more patient, and we waited four weeks before he hit the road with us. And that's all they've ever known. They never knew. My son would wake up uh, in the middle of the night, uh, in the middle of the morning, and look out the window, and we had we had relocated our, our transportation from one church to another, and he looked out the window, which for a week he had seen the church out that window. Next morning it was gone. He said, Dad, who moved the church? We moved, but he couldn't understand. Somebody moved the church. It was out the window for a week. Never grew roots anywhere. And that's okay because we are heaven-bound and we do not. Well, let's put it this way. I may be a United States citizen, and I'm proud of my citizenship, but I've got a citizenship in another place in a city that has foundations. There's where my roots are. And it's a city that's built by God. So my wife and I have traveled all of our career, and that's how I grew up. My dad was a missionary to Mexico and pastored a church in Brownsville, Texas, that supplied and supported the missionary of my dad in Mexico. And I spent many a day in those huge, I mean, trash dumps almost the size of the city limits of Colorado Springs. It was trash dumps as far as the eye could see. And thousands and thousands of destitute, poverty-stricken children 
going through the garbage looking for anything they could eat. My dad would go down there, truckloads of clothes and food week after week after week after week. My mom, when I was born, she almost died. She never did recover. She loved me, but she couldn't even hold me. My nanny was a Mexican, godly Mexican woman out of Matamoros, Mexico. Her name was Maria Rubio. I learned how to roll my orders. I spoke Spanish till I was six years old. Then they taught me English and said I had to go to school to learn English and that I was not a Mexican. <laughs> what does that do to your Hispanic mind? It blew what was left of mine. It was the first big change in my life. And that would be the course of my life, that I would go through metamorphosis of change after change after change throughout my career to where now change, it bothers me if I don't have change regularly. I, I, there's something wrong if something doesn't change because I've never allowed myself to become so accustomed to anything that it couldn't be taken away from me and me find something good, better, or whatever because I've always believed we're in a trek to somewhere and your environment has to change if you're moving forward. If you keep going through the same environment, you got one foot nail on the floor and you're going in circles. If you keep falling in the same pit, you're going in circles. So let God change your life and never look back and don't go in circles. Amen? I mean, it's just common sense. So I grew up accustomed to change. And it would go through, and I only touch a couple of the major changes because you're looking at the physical remains now of what was very different even three years ago. Three years ago, I didn't have a nose. I only had a piece of a nose. You can look at my pictures. You'll see this piece over here. Everything else was gone. No eyelids. They were gone. Blown off in Vietnam. No lips here. And I drooled all the time. My family and all my friends got so used to it, they never even noticed it. But when you're on the inside looking out and you look in the mirror back, looking back into yourself, you see it all. I'm 73, and 50 years ago I was injured in the war in Vietnam, and I have never grown accustomed to my face. Never. Not one second, not even one nanosecond have I ever grown accustomed to my face because it's never been the same since that day in Vietnam. And I'll get around to that. But I want to tell you, the guy on the inside sees all the changes that many people grow so accustomed to. They accept me the way I am, and I thank God for that. But it terrified me to walk through an airport and little children scream and hide behind mama's skirt and scream, Mommy, what is it? What is it? And I'm going to tell you something. I quit going through airports. Bought my own airplane and flew for 40 years without going through big airports and having that embarrassment. Three years ago, they made me a nose. I'm so proud of it. It's a boy. <laughs> Born at Brook Army Medical Center, San Antonio, Texas. I got eyelids. I got lips. I even got an ear, but I've had that long. It's plastic. It fell off when I was preaching in Jamaica. I didn't even know it. It just fell off. But I knew something was wrong because everybody's doing this. <gasps> their eyes are wide. They're sucking air like a hoover, and they're covering their mouth, and I'm checking my fly because something's wrong, and I don't know what. And my fly was fine. I look around. Now the corner of my eye, I saw my ear laying on my shoulder. That's embarrassing. And you can't ignore it. They're not breathing. You're going to have, you know, Jonestown without the grape Kool-Aid here in a minute. So I grabbed my ear, dried the sweat, stuck it back on. It got worse. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. And I couldn't tell them it's not a real ear. It's phony. Then they would have thought I was phony, and a phony preacher is dangerous. They would have stoned me, and 
There were young people here Friday night, and there's a bunch of them here today. I can't tell them I went to Jamaica and got stoned. <laughs> Drop the mic on that one, huh? So what am I doing? I'm mocking. I'm mocking the devil's best effort to destroy me. I ridicule it. I get up in the morning. I look in that mirror and I see this face. I see these crippled hands. I say, you will bow down. You scars, you will worship me today. You will do everything I tell you to do to reach somebody who's hurt internally worse than me to know there's an answer to the pain of life. And his name is Jesus. You agree? And so... She graduated from high school. We got married and went to Bible college. I'm just not the sharpest knife in the drawer. My elevator didn't quite go to the top floor. I'm just, I have learning disabilities. I can't read a mathematical problem. I can't read it and understand how to translate that into numbers. I just can't do it. It doesn't register. It's a a learning disability. And I've lived with it all my life. I I figured out, I I can figure algebra, but I don't do it the way they like. I just come up with the answer. And that doesn't work. You have to have each step of the way has to be correct. And so I kept flunking algebra. And then I met Brenda, and she was an algebraic whiz. And for a kiss, I figured out how to do all that stuff. (laughs) Yep, the reward is the answer. Return on investment, ROI. So I managed to graduate high school short half a credit I was half credit short graduate high school and they gave me half a credit in a course I never even took <laughs> of all courses they gave me half credit in home, home economics <laughs> I said God's truth I'm not exaggerating I had half credit in home ec- and I didn't even know what they did so practice changing diapers on babies and how to cook and uh, so I got out of high school and went to Bible college but my grades were not good in Bible college I was down, well, I'll be honest with you, they were below sea level. (laughs) I don't know if you caught that, living at 8,000 feet above sea level. But I was below, and uh, my grades were bad enough they wouldn't transfer to another college. I was passing, but only in that university. And next thing I know, I get this notice in the mail from Uncle Sam. His name was Lyndon Baines Johnson. And he decided that I was not a good student, that I'd make a better infantryman. So they decided to draft me. And I decided, you're not going to draft me. If I'm going to serve in the military, I'm going to serve in the military of my choice. And Boy Scouts were already full. (laughs) So I joined the Navy. Oh, I took my physical. It's the only exam I passed that semester. I got an O-plus on the blood test. (laughs) Think about it. It's really funny. I don't care who you are. It's, it's funny. They told me I was going to be inducted in the Army. I didn't go back to be sworn in the next day. I went down and joined the United States Navy and was sworn in to the U.S. Navy because they couldn't float a battleship in a rice paddy. There's your hero, right? Put me on a big ship out in South China Sea so nobody shoots at me. That really worked out. I've never been on a ship yet. They put me into the Brownwater Black Beret, one of three units in the United States Navy Special Warfare, the Navy SEALs, the Special Dive Vehicle Teams, and the Special Warfare Command included what was then called Brownwater Black Beret. 
That's what I ended up in. The smallest of all of them with the highest killed in action per capita, but you can't prove it. Because when our boats, made of fiberglass, mind you, were hit by an anti-tank rocket, they went up in white powder. Drive a cocaine addict insane, all that powder in so little time. And the boats would go down with the big motors and so would the bodies. And if you don't recover a body, you're not killed in action even though they know you're dead. You're missing in action until they get a body or a body part that they can identify as yours. They didn't do DNA then. So it doesn't show that we had the highest killed in action, but we did. And to train a preacher's kid who had never had a black eye, never had a fight, never been involved in an altercation of any kind, to train a kid that never saw a war movie, did not know who John Wayne was, to train him to be a vicious killer was so out of the box for me. It was all, it, it was all acting. It was all acting. I did everything I was trained to do, and I did it well and was promoted and ranked. Until the day I got to Vietnam, it never dawned on me that all that training was to keep me alive and the enemy dead. I, it just didn't register that somebody would hate me enough to want to kill me. And I got on the bus that took me from the airport to the hotel where we would be staying in downtown Saigon. It's totally leased out by the U.S. military. There I'd receive my weapon. There I'd receive my uniforms. There I'd get connected with my unit and be transported by helicopter into the jungle rivers of Vietnam, clearing to Cambodia. Before all that happened, they put me on that bus, and I looked over, and they had this hog wire on the windows. I said, boy, they're trying to keep us in this bus, aren't we? And one of the guys that was in charge of me said, idiot. He actually used a different word. I won't use it. He said, that's not to keep us in. That's to keep hand grenades out. And that is when it registered. Dear God, somebody's trying to kill me. I'm a preacher's kid. I learned how to say hallelujah in Bible college. And they're trying to kill me. From that point until the day of my injury, I was alert, I was aware, I was conscious of everything going on around me, and I'm probably alive today because of it. There comes a day in our lives when we are trained properly, and that's why you come to this church, because you get good training here. This is not the house of evangelism. Evangelism takes place out there in the world. This is the place where I, as an evangelist, go get the old goat out there, get him saved if I can, get him in here and let your pastor turn the old goat into a sheep. Because this is the place of learning and growing and developing. Discipleship takes here. Training trainers to be disciples. And who knows, every now and then a sinner might walk in. <gasps> Heavenly days a sinner came to church. Well, it's Sometimes it happens, and I'm going to tell you, if you don't know Jesus, you're in the right place today. But my job is to go out there and bring them in, and pastor's job is to train them. I mean, look at the Word of God and figure it out. We are here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so I got it. I figured it out. They trained me well, and it was a lot of training. I had to run a lot. I had to run 8, 10, sometimes 15 miles. I had to learn how to swim 15 miles. That's hard to do, folks. I was in perfect health. And if you've never seen a fat man run to start with, it was a miracle. I mean, I was still jiggling 15 minutes after we were through running. I, I was so fat. I, I could sit in my own lap and tell myself ghost stories. I'd already heard them. <laughs> you had to think about that. Never mind. We'll move along to more spiritual things. And so they trained me well. I go to Vietnam. I'm there eight months without a scratch. Not even. Now, I was close. Oh, I can't tell you how close it was. I can tell you, but we'd be here a long time telling you all the incidents where it was 
inches and seconds, literally inches and seconds. And the stories are fascinating. I promise you, I could keep you here till midnight tonight, telling you story after story after story of the deliverance of God. But on the 23rd of July, 1969, yes, teenager, right after the War of 1812. So it sounds like to them, any veteran of Vietnam in this room knows it was yesterday. On the 23rd of July, the first injury took place. Compared to three days later injury, the 23rd of July was nothing. But it was enough to keep me off that river for three days of recuperation, and there was no one to replace me. And I was the gunner's mate on a little riverboat, 30 feet long, 11 feet wide. And I was in charge of all the guns on it, and we were a fort looking for a fight. And I'm telling you, without me on that boat, that boat was worthless. Without the coxswain on the boat, it was worthless. Without the snipe that is the mechanic, it was worthless. Not sniper, but snipe, he's called. Without the bosun's mate taking care of the physical boat itself, all four had, we were absolutely essential to operate. Take one out and you're, you're not 25% less, you're about 75% less. And so they put me back on the river on the third day after I was injured. And on the 26th of July, my first trip out after injury, they got me. And they got me good. And I'm going to describe it. We were on the little boat. I was in the forward gun tunnel. We slid up on the bank of the river, and I realized we're right back at the exact place where I got hurt three days earlier. We were sent there to do what we would call today forensics, but it was a search to try and discover through the remains of bodies or the remains of armament, shells, any weaponry, anything that would tell us what we did not know about the enemy, direction of travel, number of people uh, in, involved in the firefight by the enemy. All this stuff we were supposed to, and then go down in those what are nicknamed spider holes. Some call them bunkers, but they're actually different. It's like what Saddam Hussein was captured in. It's just a deep hole with a, a space in the bottom to hide out. I had to go down in those and bring them out alive because a dead man can't talk. So I wasn't there to kill them. I was there to capture them. This was some of the most deadly work done in all the war in Vietnam. And a little preacher's kid's been asked, well, I was voluntold. Military knows what I'm saying. And that day, I drew back with a white phosphorus hand grenade. You military know exactly what I'm talking about. It burns white hot. It does not require a fuse. If it's compromised and the casing is cracked and air gets in, it will explode. What would a bullet do going into that? The bullet was fired by a sniper across the river, went through the back of my hand, blew the grenade six inches from my face. And in one second, 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit, white hot phosphorus. Being protected in the gun tub from my waist up, I was lit up like a Roman candle. From the waist down, I was not burned, only in spots of that stuff dripping on me. But I'm here to tell you, there's not a devil in or out of hell could pluck me out of the hand of God that day. Are you listening to me? That day, the devil took his best shot. He hit me. He hurt me. But I'm still here because no weapon formed against me can prosper. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Give it up for Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him. Amen. You can ask any veteran or active duty military in this place that's had any contact or experience or witness to what, a, what white phosphorus can do. I am a living miracle. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And whose I am. Because I'm no different than anybody else in this room. I'm made of the same flesh. I'm not tough. You think I'm tough? I'm not tough. 
I'm just a normal guy. But God had a plan for my life. And he's got one for every breathing, living, heart-beating soul in this room. There's not one exception in this room. God has a plan for your life. And the most exciting life you'll ever live is fulfilling that plan. In scuba diving, you plan your dive. And then you go into the water and dive your plan. Does that make sense? Because if you don't do what you were trained to do, you're going to end up lost down there. Nobody knows where to find you. So here's the rest of the story. I kissed that little teenage bride goodbye at the airport of all places, Love Field in Dallas, Texas. I kissed her goodbye. I turned to walk away proud of myself. Yes, sir, Bubba. I was man's man, not a tear. I was choking to death inside. But I'm not about to lose it in front of that little teenage wife. We're going to hold this together, and I'm not going to cry, and I'm not going to hurt her by being weak. And I walked away proud of myself, choked up on the tears I would not. I felt like I was drowning in the tears I couldn't shed. And then, maybe five steps, she called my name, Davy. Now, if she calls me David, I just go to the corner I know I'm about to be sent to. I'm in trouble. But if she calls me Davy, oh, that's totally different. She calls me Davy. I'm destroyed. I just melt. And when she said, Davy, just remember, I stopped. And before I could turn, tears. Now I'm angry at myself. And I said, what? <laughs> I scared her. She said, are you coming back? Suck it up, Reaver, because you got to be strong. I said, I'll be back without a scar. Holy cow, where did that come from? Why didn't I just say, I'll be back. Then I could be governor of California. Uh, no, California. Make movies. No, I'll be back without a scar. And boy, the minute I said, it, I said it, I felt a cold chill up my spine. I thought, oh, Lord, I just made a promise I cannot keep. They'd already told us we would be the most likely to be killed. And no matter what you think you are, you're going to find out you're not made of steel. You're made of flesh. You'll come back disfigured, dismembered, maimed. Not to mention the emotional damage. I'll be back without a scar. And I turned and left. As I said, there are eight months. That second injury put me down so hard. I'm on fire standing on the front of that boat. I jumped in the river. And the next big surprise. Remember I talked about change? You can see the changes. You've already identified a lot of them. This was the big change for eternity. It's almost like living hell. Is there anything that can put the flames of hell out? What's going to put the flames of white phosphorus out? It burns underwater. I was burning underwater. Ask the military if I'm telling you the truth or not. That's, you cannot extinguish. Some say, well, you pack mud on it, and you make bricks in your own image. It's not going to go out. They'd make something now. They can put it out. It's aluminum, nitrate. So I don't even know what to call it. Silver, I don't know what it is. I certainly never heard of it, and I didn't have any in my pocket. So I was on fire that day, and nothing could put the flame of fire out except this. It had to burn itself out. It supplies its own oxygen as a byproduct. Then it consumes itself. With that oxygen, it produced as it burned. My son-in-law's a fireman. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. 
when I surfaced, I inhaled, and I sucked that flame right down in my bronchial tubes. And I was on fire inside, and I coughed out a ball of fire. And the first words that came out of my mouth, I will quote exactly, not only burned into my memory, not only burned into my flesh, burned into my inner being, my spiritual man as well. God, in the fire came out, and I said, I still believe in you. Not because he didn't know that. God knew that. Not because I had to reassure myself. I knew that. So why did I say it? Well, for all eight months in Vietnam, <laughs> there were four of us in the team. Three of them had a nickname for me of their own. One called me Dudley Do-Right because I wouldn't go to town and sleep with the girls like they did. Another one called me Dr. Doolittle because I wouldn't do the drugs and drink the alcohol. Another one called me preacher, man, because I wouldn't shut up talking about Jesus. For eight months, all they heard from me was Jesus. I call them pervert number one, pervert number two, and pervert number three. And that's all they heard from me was Jesus this and Jesus that, and you're a pervert. <laughs> they fought over who was pervert number one. I was satisfied to be called preacher, man, and that's what my handle became in the special forces was preacher, man. And I'm proud of and I'm proud to sit here today and tell you I can still look that woman straight in the eyes and be as clean and as pure as the day I first saw her in my life. It means the world to me that when it comes time to pull the ventilator, ventilator, when they do, if they do, if Jesus comes first, then forget the ventilator. I'm on my way, but... Read the soles of my feet if you don't go, ha ha, told you so. That's what's tattooed there already. <laughs> yeah. I won the war in Vietnam before it was ever finished, and it wasn't physical. You see, they fought with an M16. I fought with a John 316, and I won. That's the difference in the weapon we wield. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's all right. I literally swam across that room. My skin was everywhere. I was beside myself. <laughs> that, come on, that's funny right there. I crawled up on the bank of the river. I looked down. My left thumb was gone. That was gone, too. They made that out of my hip. I don't suck it. Don't suck your hip. That's my motto. And my right hand was severed in half. These three fingers and the thumb were hanging by tendons. And this finger was on one left. These don't work. They make a good mic stand, but God left my preaching finger. Repent. See, I got a mic stand and a preaching finger. That's all you need is an advantage. It would help to have a mind, but you can get by without one. In my field of endeavor, God still had that plan. You say, well, that's just being silly, but not to me. These things are a promise from God that no matter what in life we may lose, he'll never let anything be taken from us that would make us a success for the kingdom. I hope you caught that. So when you lose something in life, before you go shaking your fist in God's face screaming, why me, God? What if he answered you? I don't know, George, or just something about you I don't like. Poof. Crispy critter. That's a new name for you. See, God doesn't do evil. Say, I want everybody in the house to say it with me. God does not do evil. Say it again. God does not do evil. So God didn't do this to me. He didn't shoot me and set me on fire. God doesn't do that kind of stuff. But why didn't he stop it from happening? That was the only question I had that was unanswered. 
I figured out who, when, where, what, and why, but not the why didn't he stop it from happening. I knew why it happened because I was on fire from a fire. I didn't know what had happened to set the grenade on fire because I thought I was hit by a rocket. It was months later I was told I hit by my own grenade from burned by my own grenade from a, a sniper round. They did all that, figuring it out. I didn't know, but I didn't know. If God can put the moon in space, can he stop a 7.62 bullet out of the muzzle of an AK-47? Don't you think so? I think so. Why didn't he stop it? And you know something? Some people, if they don't know the answer, they turn against God. If they don't know the answer, if they can't figure it out, there is no God. Oh, really? Really? You want to tell me how the moon doesn't get sucked into the gravity of the earth? You want to tell me why the dark side stays dark and it doesn't spin? You want to tell me all these axes of the earth on the 4% or 4-degree level that keeps us from burning to death? You want to tell me? You, you know the answer? Well, you figure that one out. And then when you do, I love the story of the atheist that said to God, I can make a man. And God said, you can he said, make a man for me. So the atheist got down and started scooping up all the dirt. And God said, no, 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 wait a minute. You have to get your own dirt. <laughs> you see, if you don't know the answer, it's okay. There's a story told, and, and some say it's not true. Many say it is. I don't know. But the, the lesson of the story is remarkable. It's the story about Albert Einstein's wife. And the media said, they always interview him. What about you? Can we interview you? She said, Sure. So they interviewed her, and they said, do you believe EMC equals whatever squared? <laughs> she said, yes. Well, would you explain to us uh, that law of physics? She said, no, I can't. I don't understand. She said, they said, well, how can you understand that th this law of physics is real if you don't understand? She said, I know Albert. See, there's so much I don't get. I don't understand. I don't understand why God would put a partner in my life that would go through every step of this pain with me. 60 surgeries. She's still my scab picker, Bubba. She still tends to me and loves me. When her husband comes home looking like a monster, you have no idea. I've got pictures on my phone that would make you throw up of what this face looked like after 12 hours and nine doctors working on one square foot of imagery. When they got through, it looked like a train ran over me, then backed up over me to see if they got me. You cannot imagine. And if you're interested enough, I'll show you after service just to prove my point. And yet, never one time, not from the original injury to sitting here today, she ever been ashamed of me. Even when people say, what happened to your husband? Or they say to me, what happened to your face? And he's uglier than me. I said, what happened to your mother? Yours ugly. When you were born, they slapped her. Did you like that one? That's funny right there. Okay, here you are. I don't understand something. And I went 20 years not knowing why God didn't stop it. Thinking, possibly God... Were you mad at me? What awful sin did I commit that for the last 20 years I've been walking through this life mutilated, disfigured, in pain every day? God, why didn't you stop it from happening? And one night I was asked to be on Trinity Broadcast Network, 
And I told Jan Crouch, do not ask me a difficult question. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I've been on a 90-day tour. So don't ask any hard questions. Sound like Hillary Clinton during the primaries. Remember her? Don't ask hard questions. And Jan, you remember her, don't you? I told the guys Friday night, I know her well. I knew her. I could have fun with her. She's one of the most precious friends I've ever had in my life. Some people hated her. I loved her. She was an amazing woman with spiritual in-depth that her hair and her makeup would hide. And she had enough on her. I told her, we're going to take your makeup off. We're going to find Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> she thought that was so funny. But don't you pull out on her if you're not her friend. She said, okay, I'll make it easy on you during the interview. First question, do you carry baggage out of that war? Well, that's not inquiring about my Samsonite. She's saying, are you suicidal? Do you wake up at night screaming, jerking hair rollers out of Brenda's hair, loading machine guns? What in the world is it like for you today? Well, that's not the question I wanted to hear. Because to answer that, I'm not going to lie on television. I'm not going to lie anywhere. If I, can, if I knowingly am about to lie, I'm not going to do it. And I'm saying to you, I became so obvious and transparent that I told her things I had never even told Brenda. I told her, I'm, I said, Miss Jen, I'm so suicidal. There's not a day goes by in my life that I don't think about killing myself at least once. Sometimes I even took the time to make it everything, the only thing left, everything done but one thing, pull the trigger. Had the gun in my hand. It was easy. All I had to just pull the trigger. But the reason I couldn't wasn't fear of death. I've, been, I've faced that death angel so many times. We're on friendly terms. It was I didn't want to leave Brenda and my two babies having to make explanations why I looked like I did and then why I did what I did. That just wasn't worth it. I put the gun down. 20 years. I told her. It's just been a hard 20 years. She said, well, you know why God lets you be scarred, maimed, and burned, don't you? And I'm thinking, you just fixed your hair, and I'm telling you the ugliest moment of my entire existence on this planet. I was so mad at her, I could have pinched her head off, but it wasn't the Jerry Springer show. It's Christian TV where you fake it for Jesus. I pretended to be a gentleman when I didn't want to be a gentleman. I said, Miss Jan, I don't know why God let me be scarred, maimed, and burned. That's the question. She didn't say... You know why God scarred you, maimed you, and burned you? God didn't. She knew it. I knew it. But I didn't know why he didn't stop it. And her words were exactly manicured to be perfectly stated. You know why God let you be scarred, maimed, and burned? Folks, there's a lot of things. We pray. God, don't let it happen. God didn't start it from happening in the first place. And because he didn't originate, he has no obligation to prevent it. He didn't start the war in Vietnam. God didn't do that. I had a, a guy sitting next to me in the airplane. Asked what happened to my face. He shouldn't have. And that opened up the can of worms. He said, well, if there's a Vietnam, why was, if there's a God, why was there a Vietnam? I said, if they put hubcaps on cars in Mexico, why do they sell eggs by the dozen in China? He said, what? I said, what? I said, my question is as stupid as yours. God didn't start to worry. He had no obligation to, to stop it. He didn't shoot me, and he didn't have any obligation to stop me from being hurt. Why blame God for stuff he didn't do? Always the why me God stuff. I'm sick of it. God doesn't do evil. You said it. I said it. We all believe it. And so I looked at her, and she asked that question. You know why God let you be scarred? I said, I don't know why God let me be scarred. And she said these words. Listen to what the big-haired woman said to me. I call her the blue-haired woman. I'm supposed to trust a woman with blue hair. 
It tells you right off something ain't true. I said, I don't know why. She said, Davy, he didn't shoot you. He didn't set you on fire that day because he knew and listen to the pivot of my life come out of her mouth. The thing that would bring balance once again. She said he knew he could trust you with the scars. For the first time, I realized these scars aren't a liability. They're a liberty for me to say to someone hurt. I know how you feel and I'm not lying when I say it. This was not a condemnation. This was a confirmation. Dave, you got what it takes. I believe you can do this. I'm going to let it happen. I'll walk you through it and I'm going to use every one of those scars and he does. That's why I make them bow down and worship me every morning. What has God allowed you to go through because he trusted you and you sat down in the middle of the battlefield crying, shaking your fist at him saying, why me? Get up. Get off your stretcher. Get back on your horse and ride back into the battle. We're not dead with COVID. We're alive in the middle of it. Give the Lord a clap offering in this room. And so I tried to be through by 12, but that's so long till midnight. I figure I better close now. Y'all are so patient, and you're so attentive. My goodness, I, I look at you, and I wonder, God, make every word go to the heart of every person in this room. Because I'm going to tell you, some of you look way worse than I do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some of you are scarred to the depths of your soul. You may have a perfectly beautiful body, but your spirit has been annihilated. You're hanging on with the last spiritual heartbeat. You've been morally injured to the death almost. And you're maybe beyond. Well, today is a resurrection Sunday. We're coming back to church and we're coming back strong and we're going to change the world that for once since 9-11 has now thought, maybe we ought to go to church again. I just hope it lasts longer than it did after 9-11. So what are we going to do with what we've got? What are we going to do? Some of you scarred from... Years of abuse as a child, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotion, emotional abuse. I predicted, and it came to pass, not because I predicted it. It is not a self-fulfilling prophecy. I just knew it would happen. Whenever they gave the stay-at-home order, house arrest virtually, for some it is, and I'll explain that. The first thing I did was I looked at Brenda and I said, I know what's going to happen. There are little girls that have been going to school to get away from dad. She's coming home, and she has no place to hide, and he wouldn't let her run if she could. And I said, we're going to have sexual abuse go through the roof, and the product will be suicide among our youth. We'll have military downrange that cannot come home, that cannot be deployed, redeployed back home because they can't come home to a situation that would infect our military overseas. Suicides will increase again in our military. It was one a day five, six years ago. Now they don't even want to talk about it because it's two and three a day, every day among our active duty, 23 plus a day among our retired military, killing themselves. Now it's gone through the roof. No one wants to talk about it. Why? Because we're locked in and can't get away from each other. I said it's going to go through the roof, sexual abuse among our children. And it came out about a month later. 
just recently the reports from child services is you won't believe what's been taking place in these homes. I'm going to tell you there are people in this room that have histories that make me look like the purest newborn baby on earth. But Jesus is still the answer. If you're watching live stream on the backside of the earth on the backside, or on the backside of Colorado Springs, wherever you are, I'm going to tell you Jesus is not relegated to house arrest. He's not social distancing. He's as close, the Bible says, as the mention of his name. The utterance of his name and just saying his name and he's there. So I'm going to ask you, I can't bring you forward. We can't be packed in around the front, but I'm going to tell you what we can do. We can respond right where you're sitting. You can respond right from your home, wherever you are. I'm going to lead a prayer and I'm going to ask you, everyone to repeat it. You say, well, Brother Dave, I know the Lord. I expect that. So we're going to renew our vows in this prayer. But a renewal of vows is like virtual vows. In other words, we're going to pretend we're getting married to the bridegroom for the first time. Where this, is the, this is that great commitment of our lives. Rehashed, remembered, renewed, redeemed, which the word redeem means restored to its original value. But for some of you, maybe in this room, like I said, maybe you came today and you're not in a right relationship with Jesus. Come on. This is a perfect time and place to get it right. Amen? So what I'm going to say to you is repeat these vows I lead you in. And let it be the making, not renewing necessarily unless you've known the Lord in the past but walked away. Let that rebirth take place today in your life. Say this prayer out loud. Confess it out loud. Don't you have to yell. God's not deaf. We got a translator if he was. And he's not nervous, so you don't have to whisper. You have to be real quiet about it. It's not going to, oh, oh, shh, you're making me nervous. You talk too loud. Are you kidding me? He wants to hear us confess it. Why? Because I want the angels of heaven to hear it. I want Jesus to hear it. And I want the devil to hear you confess Jesus is Lord and victor over death, hell, the grave, and the devil himself. Amen. Then let's pray. You don't even have to bow your head and close your eyes. Just pray out loud. Ready? Lord Jesus, I confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart. You are the Son of God. And as that woman prayed in the worship time, you are who you say you are. You are risen from the dead, having been crucified because of my sin. You gave yourself for me. You rose from the dead and gave yourself to me. I receive you, Lord Jesus. You are risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. You're praying for me to God himself. And I love you, Jesus. And I thank you. Because of you, I make another confession. I am, by faith, a child of God. Because of the blood of Jesus spilled for my sins, I am now guiltless and presented holy to the Father. I am changed and a new creation. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Give the Lord a clap offering. People got right with God today. Didn't get any better than that. I'd like to tell you a little quick story. 
I was in Moscow, and we had just gone through. I was literally over there in the Soviet Union when the, the coup took place, the bloodless, fireless, no, no shots were fired, coup that brought down the Soviet Union because of a Methodist church in Poland that would not bow. And when that started, it spread like wildfire. And I was in Estonia. Uh, and it was in Tallinn, Estonia, the capital. I could tell you the whole story there. It's too much to tell. But I ended up in Moscow, in the Moscow Opera House. It seated about nine or 10,000. It was filled for the first time without government control. I was preaching, and, and Karsenakis was the piano player. And I went over after him, and I played a song on the piano called How Great Thou Art with these hands. He never got a standing ovation. They wouldn't stop clapping when I got through. Oh, I rubbed that in. Oh, did I rub that in on Dino. Holy cow, I couldn't stop. I had more fun with that. It was a great friendship. Then I preached. And I told them how much I loved them. And finally, for the first time, I could come here, and governments did not send us. Governments would not control our speech. And I said to them, for years we've been separated and could not say to you, Jesus loves you. And the place is all in tears. Thousands and thousands of Russians weeping in the presence of God. And I leaned over and I said to the chief of police who was standing as a bodyguard, I said, the barriers are there for a reason, sir. I'm going to give an invitation. Don't let anybody cross those barriers because if one person comes through, they'll overwhelm. Everybody will break through and people will get trampled. People will die. Don't let it happen. And he promised that that would not happen. I gave my invitation. Here they came. I think everybody in the room gave their heart to Christ that night. But there was one problem. One guy got through, and I was infuriated. I looked at that chief police, and I motioned. I said, you let a guy through? He said, oh, Reverend, he is the colonel in the Russian army. Oh, okay, I get it. We'll let him through. But I didn't see him after he got through. A few minutes later, the prayer time is taking place, and I have translators leading all these thousands of people to Christ. And a guy came and said, the colonel is backstage, and he wants to talk to you. I said, oh, boy, I'm in trouble now. I went back, and they had two chairs set up where our knees were about that far apart. He was right in my face. I sat down and said, sir, I'm happy to meet you. He said, I wonder if you mean what you said. I'm not going to try to illustrate it with the accent anymore because I'm not that good, but I want you to get the feel. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm Russian colonel. I commanded a missile battery that shot down your B-52s when they were bombing us at the end of the war. He said, you said you love us. Do you love me? I looked him right straight. I said, I love you, colonel. I don't care what you did. I don't care what I did. We were enemies in that war. But I love you. He said, but does your Jesus love me? I said, he loves you more than I do. I said, yes, he loves you. He forgives us of all of our sin. <coughs> he bowed his head and he said, okay, very well. I accept your Jesus. He stood up and walked off. I said, no, 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 come back. you got to raise your hand, come forward, fill out a response card. No, no, no. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Is that simple? 
We make it so difficult, don't we? Just believe in your life. We'll go through those metamorphical changes that will make you what you ought to be out of what you were. Thank you, Jesus. I'm through. I do want to tell you, if you want to help our ministry, and we need help because we're not a church. No one tithes to us. I don't accept tithes. I don't accept it. I don't want God to curse me or curse you for giving away money that belongs to the storehouse. So our ministry will not accept tithes. You get, is that okay? I want you to understand, there's still some integrity left in a guy that, that has blood on his hands from that war. But I'm telling you, when it comes to my relationship with God, I want it to be exact, perfect, no alterations, no customs changes. I want it to be right. We do not accept tithes. But because we are a, an itinerant ministry, we've been shut down for six weeks. And I could really use the help if you want to make a contribution. I think Pastor's going to do an offering this morning. But if you'd like to get some of our product, I brought two books that I have not colored in yet. <laughs> They're brand new. One is called War and Recovery, and it's filled with short stories. You can read this like almost like a, a devotional. Story after story, short enough to read with every story loaded with powerful scriptures of affirmation. And implanting those scriptures into your heart will give you the tools to fight against the same principles of darkness that I had to fight against and my warriors did in these stories. It's a great book, a great read. Interesting, but powerful. And here's why I wrote it. Because I want you to know, there is, you're as vulnerable as I am to the wiles of the devil without Jesus. You don't have to go to Vietnam or go to Afghanistan or Iraq get hurt. Some of you went to divorce court. I came back with a purple heart. You came back with a broken heart. He didn't come to heal purple hearts. He said, I'm sent to heal the broken heart. Welcome to your healing today in this service. I'm, I'm back into my message. It's a book that you'll enjoy. Another one is called Scarred, which is my autobiography. It's the story of my experience that I've touched parts on going all the way back to my childhood and following that silver lining through every event of my life that brought me to a bank of a river in the jungle of Vietnam on the border with Cambodia with seven men with me, eight of us all together, four on each boat at the very beck and call of the enemy, and we survived it. I was the worst hurt, worst injured in our entire team, and we did not lose a man including me. We didn't lose. That book will intrigue you. It's interesting. And then today we have a fabulous ministry to our troops. I forgot to mention there's also a video. Uh, have you ever heard of the church called Gateway Church in Fort Worth? I go there regularly and they, they did a video of my presentation. It's called Scars and Stripes. Did you get it? It's cool playing words, isn't it? It's a really interesting video. I mean, the response of tens of thousands of people made that thing so fun to watch and exciting, powerful. Something you'll enjoy sharing with a friend and bring them to Christ. So that's available too. And then the last thing is our ministry has one hour and 30 minutes, well, probably an hour and 45 minutes from right here because you have to go through Springs to get to the other side of the city out of Fort Carson, take 115, I think it is. And then you head over to uh, Florence. And then you, you end up picking up Highway 69 
and it'll take you all the way to mile marker 11, highway 96 rather, highway marker 11. Turn right onto that dirt road and just stay on it and you'll come to a ranch that'll blow your beautiful mind. It's called Eagle Summit Ranch, Colorado. And we have brought thousands of troops through there. They've come with no legs and we get them back on their feet if you know what I'm saying. We, we treat them with the love and respect they've earned. And the military says we are the best faith-based group. And now I say the military, it's often said by our military. And it's called Operation Warrior Reconnect. That's our beautiful logo and OWR. And on the right shoulder is the forward-moving United States flag with the stars leading the stripes, which means we're moving into battle, not running from it. And these things, this shirt, all this, I take zero royalties, no sales percentages. I never have, and I never will. I don't need to. Everything goes to scholarship our warriors through our programs for building programs that we're doing right now at Eagle Summit Ranch, Texas. It's going to be huge. It's already huge. We've already, we've been in operation there since 2010. We've been in operation out here in Colorado since 2007. Both opened on September 11th of the corresponding years. These things help your warriors that fought for your freedom to be able to have reconnection. Operation Warrior Reconnect. We reconnect our broken warriors with family, friends, and faith. We are the strongest faith-based organization in the country for our troops. We're not Wounded Warrior Project. We're not Tunnels to Towers. They're all great, I'm sure. But what good is it to heal a man of his broken soul and his broken physical body if his spirit has never been healed and he goes to hell with a good soul and a bad body? Who cares? We're leaving out the most important part of the healing of our warriors without Jesus. Does everybody understand that? Say amen. Or you're looking at the man with the organization that takes care of that third one. So with your support and with your purchase of these, you'll be helping us. You're perfectly willing. We're glad to take your credit card. We've even got little things to help you feel safe with exchange of currency. Or you can wash your hands with our little bottle of whatever back here. We'll, we'll keep the rules. You can keep them if you want to. We're not worried about it. Here's the key. I want you to understand, you can give on your credit card if you don't have any other means. If you're a visitor and you don't know how to give online or anything, you can give on that credit card. And I want you to know, Pastor will get a total exact reply of how much was given in any contribution at that table. We're totally and completely transparent on that. But you're welcome to do that. And here's a really cool thing. It's been going on for decades now, since the war started. There's an, we're supported by Hobby Lobby, American Airlines, who pays for all my airline tickets, not me, but for all my warriors to fly them from all over the world. They come from foreign bases as well as home bases, but they come from all over. American Airlines has paid all their airline tickets to come be with me. That is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars I don't have to go ask the church for. I do not take federal funds into our Operation Warrior Reconnect or our 501c3 ministry. You know why, don't you? I'm not for sale for 30 pieces of silver, folks. I'm not going to do it. I go to the church who share my broken heart for our broken warriors, and I'm asking your support. But there's a donor in Fort Worth, Texas, my hometown, my high school buddy. His name is Al Banker, and he's one of the richest men I've ever met in my life. He has a huge insurance business called Banker Insurance. 
He matches every gift of $1,000 or more up to and including $100,000, which he's matched seven or eight, I think eight times now. Eight times is correct. He's matched that. Now, not, not yesterday and not this year, all that, but he believes in me, believes in what I do, loves God, Jesus, the military, America, and everybody needs a sugar daddy. And I got me one, and I'm not going to tell you anything else about him. I want you messing with him. If you were able to, and I know in COVID, some blew the lid off financially and are growing faster and exponentially more than ever. Some are barely getting by. I don't know what's in the room. So I never stopped the idea of throwing out the line to see who might help. I will make you this promise. Not one penny of any gift given will be be spent on Dave Reaver. We are in a spiritual and physical and emotional battle for the soul of our men. And everything you and women and everything you give will go to the cause of winning our nation for Christ. I promise you that. I'm Dave Reaver, and I approve of this message. Thank you. I love you guys. There you are. So we are going to give you an opportunity to uh, connect, to um, give be involved with this. And you heard him say uh, any, any gift a thousand or over is, is matched. So we want to give you a chance to do that. We're, we're, we're going to be giving from our men's ministries department, we're giving him a check um, specifically separately from the men's ministries than, than the giving so that, that it can be matched. Um, it's, it's over a thousand. So it's not like you can get four or five people together unless you do it covertly and uh, get an offering over a thousand, which will, which, you know, Jesus understands covert. But, um, <clears throat> but so, so we're going to have uh, Jerry and um, uh, Joel helped us out Friday night. Is he still here? Joel, Joel, you, you got a job. What are you doing sitting there? Come on, Joel. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, their job is to look you right in the eyes, touch you with the offering plate. <laughs> Guys, we believe he didn't, tell, he didn't tell half the stuff that he does around the world. He told us a little bit more Friday night, but there's a lot of stuff. He, he needs um, you to help him do this kind of stuff. And so we want to be a part of that, right? We want to be a part of it. We also have, we, we usually line the mothers up here and give them something to do something but um, COVID. So we have uh, a table full of stuff out there. And um, Trisha, I'm sure, will be out there. She can explain all the stuff. I know Dara was out there. Uh, they want you to walk over the gift. If you're online and you're, and you're not here this morning, which if you're online, you're not here this morning, <clears throat> we, we want you to also have this. So we're going to probably keep these around. And uh, moms, please come by during the week and, um, and just say it. I, I know that there are people that cannot get here. M- my mother is in a rehab center right now. My dad is a few blocks away in his apartment. They are both locked down. My, guy, my dad got a letter because he went to, to the cardiologist, and they literally told him, you have to stay in your room for 14 days. So, so somebody needs to be kicked hard. But either way, my dad can't be with my mom. It's Mother's Day. We're trying to tell her happy Mother's Day on the phone. It's just stupid. So um, I'm sorry. So think about this. If you're, if you're online, you know a mom. You know a mom that's trapped in a house. Uh, take her some stuff. Take her, take her some stuff. Maybe even go by and get some flowers or something. 
Um, and and um, oh well. So, so happy Mother's Day, ladies. Mothers, all your mothers, stand up. We're going to let you lead the way out of the uh, room for us this morning. And it's going to be like a little mother parade. Go mothers, go mothers. Don't take your time, mothers. The rest of us have to leave too. Let's give these ladies a hand. Go mom, go mom. It's your birthday. Go mom. These are amazing women. All right, guys, it's, um, it's just us now. So uh, let's, say, let's say things about mom. No, let's not do that. Fix dinner, do whatever. Treat her good every day, not just today. And uh, we'll see you hopefully Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs>